Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So today, we're going to bring the fifth message in this series on uh, temptations, test trials, and deserts. And I want to go back to Romans chapter 12. Now, the, the, the first two verses of Romans 12 are the key to a victorious Christian life. Right? They are a key to participating in the kingdom of God. Remember, when Jesus came, his message was two parts. It was repent, which means to turn away from. You're turning away from something, all right? But then it's because the kingdom of God is here. So we're, we're turning away from something, and then we're turning to something, right? Now, in, in Galatians, it says it like this later. It says... It says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. He's saying, embrace the kingdom, and then you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The, the Bible is never about what you don't do as much as it is about what you do do. I know if I, if, I won't say that again. All right. <laughs> but you get it. It, it's bringing us to something, not away from something. All right. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, and I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service and spiritual worship. Now, so often we think of worship as I, I'm lifting my hands, I'm saying hallelujah, I'm, I'm singing, I'm kneeling, perhaps I'm prostrate on the floor, and we think that's worship, and it is, right? But notice the Bible says here that when you dedicate your body to God, all of its members and faculties, when, when you say, God, I dedicate my body to you, every part of my body, now, this really, you cannot live a victorious Christian life without doing this. Right? This is step number one. You dedicate your body to God, and the Bible says that's worship. Right? But it says you're a living sacrifice. Now, normally, when you're going to do a sacrifice, you build the altar, you put the wood on, you kill the animal, right? and then it stays on the altar because it's dead. But the Bible says your body is to be a living sacrifice. Here's the problem with living sacrifices. They keep wanting to get off the altar. They don't stay there. Right? They keep wanting to get off. And so it says here, you make a decisive dedication. Right? So it's a one-time thing, but it's not a one-time thing. You do do it one time, but then you, because your body is going to try to get off the altar, it, you know what? You're going to have to dedicate it again. And then when it tries to get off the altar, you need to dedicate it again. And when it tries to get off the altar, you need to dedicate it uh, again. All right. Very often before I even get out of bed in the morning, one of my first prayers is, God, I dedicate my body to you today. Right? So this is something that we have to do 
But it's not just a one-time thing. Because it's a living sacrifice and it keeps wanting to get off the altar, you need to dedicate your body to God as often as it tries to get off from the altar. Now, verse 2. And don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way that you think. Then you will know how to do everything that's good and pleasing to him. So when we receive Jesus, he does something with our heart, with our spirit. You become new in Christ, but it's new in your spirit, right? Now, you present your body to God, but then you still have a mind or a soul. And what we need to do is we need to change the way that we think. You you don't change the way you live or what you do without changing the way that you think. So it says, let God change the way that you think. Now, the way that we change the way that we think is with the word of God. It is with the Bible. God gave us the Bible literally to change the way that we think. There's an Old Testament scripture that goes through the same thing. It's in Isaiah 55. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let them return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. Now notice it says you, there's two ways you can be away from God in your ways and in your thoughts, right? We, we tend to just think about, well, I did this, but, and, and you can be away from God in the way that you're living, right? But you can also be away from God in your thoughts, right? That's why the Bible says, let God change you by changing the way you think. It says you need to forsake your ways and forsake your thoughts. The word forsake there, it means to leave, to abandon, to reject, to desert, and to depart from. Right? So you need to depart from your thinking, Wrong thinking, depart from our wrong ways. And then God says this in verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and don't return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing to which I sent it. This week is supposed to warm up. How many of you saw that? Right? Listen, two, two months from today, you will go outside, and it will look completely different than what it does right now. Right? We've got those April showers coming. They're going to bring the May flowers, right? Now, God says that's what his word is like. He says his, just like the rain comes down, right? And it makes the earth spring forth and bud, right? So shall my word be. He said, that's what my word will do. You see, you plant God's word inside your heart and it's going to spring forth and it's going to bud. God says, my word will not return to me void. Right? The way that we change the way that we think is with the word of God. God's word has the ability to change the way that we think, which will change the way that we live. Now, Jesus' message, repent for the kingdom of God is here. 
right? Again, it's turn away from and then pursue. We turn away from this world. The very first sermon that's ever preached is preached on the day of Pentecost. And Peter ends by saying, be saved from this perverse generation. He didn't say be saved from hell. He said be saved from this perverse generation. Right? So there's the world's way of doing things. He says you need to be saved from that. Right? So how do you get saved from that? By changing the way you think. So we turn away from the word repentance means an interchange of mind resulting in an outward turning back or turning around to face and move in a completely different direction. So if I'm going this way and I repent, it means I go like this. I start going in the opposite direction. So we're turning away from the world, but we're moving towards the kingdom of God. So the word forsake in the Old Testament, same thing. It's leaving, abandoning, rejecting, deserting. It's departing from one and going after another. Now, what we often think is that we repent when we have great emotion. And, And literally, I've seen people cry and have snot coming out of their nose. Right? And then the next day, they live exactly the way they did before. Because it was emotional, but it wasn't a change of mind. And on the other hand, I've seen people that did not cry a tear, didn't look like anything happened. And yet, from that day forward, their life went in a different direction. Now, with repentance, there can be emotion. Emotion is not bad, but emotion is not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. So let God change your life by changing the way you you think. And we so often are just looking for, for some emotion. And emotion, again, is not bad. In fact, it's good. But emotion without a change of mind is not repentance. And so often, it's so easy to justify yourself. Uh, I've had so many people tell me why. And the Bible says this, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, imprudent in their own sight. You can justify about anything you want to justify. However, something is not right because you think it's right or because I think it's right. It's right because God says it's right. And it's not wrong because I think it's wrong or you think it's wrong. It is wrong because God says it's wrong. One of the things we've forgotten is that there is a judgment day. There is a judgment day coming. And when every one of us are going to stand before God. Right? Now, notice he says, if you'll forsake your ways and your thoughts, he said, I will have mercy. I will have mercy on him. You know, there's a, there's a scripture in the New Testament that confuses a lot of people. In the book of Romans, it says, I will harden whom I'll harden, and I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Right? But the Bible tells us here who God will have mercy on. He says, you forsake your ways. You forsake your thoughts. He says, God will have mercy, compassion, pity, feelings of compassion accompanied by works of compassion. Right? So, so it, it's not that God is just hardening somebody. There is a way. If you'll forsake your ways, forsake your thoughts, God says, I will have mercy on him. So often people think that repentance is remorse. Remorse is, I am sorry I got caught. Somebody robs a bank and you catch them and they say, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're sorry they got caught. 
But in their mind, they were on the way to the Bahamas to spend millions. And they're just sorry they aren't going to make it. Right? So they're sorry they got caught. They're sorry for the consequences. Right? His remorse is, I'm sorry, God, you don't like it. Right? But that is not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Right? For, for, for there to be repentance, we need to hate sin like God hates sin. Right? Somebody says, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to repent. Well, maybe, but probably not. Because repentance means you get to the place where if you could do it all over again, you wouldn't do it. Not because of the consequences, but because it's right or because it's wrong. So in uh, Luke's gospel, the, the 16th chapter, Jesus tells the story, starting at the 19th verse, about a rich man named Lazarus. Excuse me, a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. Both of them died. The Bible says that Lazarus died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he lifts up his eyes and he sees Lazarus afar off and Abraham at his side. And, and he cries out and he says, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, send him that he just put the tip of his finger in, in water because I'm in torment in these flames. And Abraham explains that well, I can't send them because there's a gulf in between us and nobody can, from here can go to there, nor can anyone from there come, to, to come over here. And he says, I beg you, therefore, Abraham, that you'd send them to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he could testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. I've had people say to me, literally, they have said, well, I just I want to go to hell because all my friends are going to hell and we are going to have a party. I've heard people say that, said it to me, right? Now, here's somebody who's there, and he says, I don't want any of my, my, my brothers to show up here. And hell is also called the bottomless pit. People think they're going to have a party. You, it, it is a continual sensation of falling. How many of you ever dreamed in the night, and in your dream, you, you, you fell, and you kind of like get woke up? Anybody ever had that? Come on. Yeah. You know, that's what hell's like. It's like you're continually just going down, 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 down. So he says, hey, send him to my brothers. At least, any, at least they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. And he said, no, no, no. If somebody were to rise from the dead, he said, uh, then, then they'll repent. And, Mo, and, excuse me, and Abraham said, you know, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe though one rise from the dead. He said, what brings repentance is not seeing something supernatural, right? What brings repentance is seeing things as God sees things, right? It's the word of God. He said, if they don't believe the word of God, they're not going to believe, even though somebody risen, rises up from the dead. You know, in 2 Timothy 3, it says, every part of scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful in one way or another. Shows us the truth, exposes our rebellion, corrects our mistakes, trains us to live God's way. And through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has given us. I want you to think about this. The Israelites have been in Egypt and Moses comes and there's the 10 plagues, every one of them supernatural. They leave Egypt and God opens the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land and then drowns their enemies. 
They get to the other side and God begins to send them bread from heaven every day. Bread from heaven falls. You know, in, in, uh, the old, in, in the book of Psalms, it says they ate the corn of heaven. Another place it says they ate the bread of heaven. So it must have been cornbread, right? It was corn and it was bread, cornbread. Right? So they, they ate. The, every day they're out there, they're eating bread that falls from heaven. The Bible says that water comes out of a rock to give them water. And that rock followed them. All right. Then they've got a cloud that keeps the sun off them during the day. And then at night, it's a nightlight. How many like a nightlight? You know, it's a night, it's, it's a, it's fire at night. It keeps them, you know, so they can see at night. They go to Mount Sinai. God comes down. They see the thunder, the lightning, the smoke. They hear the voice of God. And then they get to the promised land and God said, I've given you the land. And they say, oh no, we can't go in. Now they have seen all kinds of miracles, right? But yet those miracles alone did not put faith in their hearts to do what God had called them to do. Elijah the prophet is, is uh, literally hiding during a drought. And God says to him, he said, go to Seraphath, and I've commanded a widow there to take care of you. So he gets there, and there's a widow gathering a few sticks. And he says to her, he says, would you please get me a little water? And as she's going, he said, and, and would you make me a little cake and bring it to me? Now, can you imagine if a liberal, if a liberal press had been there? That day, prophet takes widow's last meal. I mean, the headlines would have been horrendous, all right? And he says to her, he says, uh, she said, well, all I've got is a little bit of flour and a tiny bit of oil in the bottom of a cruise. And I'm going to make a little cake for my son and a little cake for me. And we're going to eat them and we're going to die. Now, how many know that is not what you call a faith confession? We're going to eat them and we're going to die. And he says, do just like you said, but make me a little cake first. He says, because this is what the Lord says. Your cruise of oil will keep pouring and there will continue to be multiplied flour in your bin until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And she goes. And the next morning, there's more oil. Every time she puts her hand in that, that little flour container, there's more. And it multiplies. Now, she does not have a miracle. Get this. She has a continuous miracle. Every time she's hungry, there's a miracle. Right? Well, the story doesn't end there. Her son dies. And she goes to, to Elijah. And, and, and she says, oh, man of God, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him in his arms. He carried him to the upper room where he was staying, put him on his bed, and he cried out to God. And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, please let this child's soul come back. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back, and he revived. And Elijah said to the lady, he brings her son. He says, See, your son lives. And listen to her. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you're a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. She's had a miracle every day. But she says, now I've seen this miracle and now I believe. Listen, until tomorrow. Because miracles do not change the way you live. 
Miracles don't change the way that you live. The word of God is given to change the way that we think. Right? Now, uh, when, when uh, Jeannie and I graduated from Bible college, we went straight to Mexico. And in about six weeks, we were starting a church. Right? And uh, I, I, was, I was not just the pastor. I was the gardener. I was the custodian. I was everything. And right in front of our church, we had bananas. I mean, it's kind of like where you have shrubs at your house. We had banana trees, you know, and I'm taking care of the bananas. Do you know bananas grow in Mexico? Bananas grow in Jamaica. Bananas grow in Panama. But there are no bananas in Alaska. You say, why? Because it's not the right atmosphere. Right? You see, places and people produce atmosphere. Places and people produce atmosphere. You see, if you go, to, you go clubbing and there's music and dancing and partying and alcohol, how many of you know that atmosphere is setting something up? Well, I'm glad the rest of you don't know. That's good. But I'm just telling you, it's setting something up. All right? So what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get you into his atmosphere or his culture. In fact, one of the things that Satan tries to do, in fact, when Satan wants to attack you, one of his premier strategies is to bring somebody into your life to bring compromise. And when God wants to bless you, one of the things God does is bring somebody into your life that's going to challenge you and encourage you and help you grow spiritually. In Proverbs 6, verse 23, now notice these two things that it mentions. It says, the commandment is a law, the law a light. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So he's saying the commandments, they're a lamp. The Bible, the, the, the law, it's light. Right? And the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So somebody gives you the reproof of instruction. It's somebody who's helping you and telling you, hey, if you do this, it would be better. Right? So the word of God and the encouragement of somebody, right, are the way of life. All of us learn, right, all of us learn or are to learn from other people who can help us, right, and the word of God, right? Now, notice what it says, to keep you from. So the word of God and good godly companionship are to keep you from. And here it mentions the evil woman. How many know there's just as many evil men, right? There, there, there are, see, the, the word of God and godly relationships are to give you the wisdom to recognize that there are some relationships that are not going to help you spiritually. In fact, you can, just, you can just say, okay, is this relationship, is it helping me spiritually? If it is, it's a God-sent relationship. Is this relationship bringing spiritual compromise into my life? It is not a God-sent relationship, right? So, so it creates places, people create an atmosphere, right? Uh, I, I say it this way sometimes, wrong voices bring wrong choices. Wrong voices bring wrong choices. Uh, Jimmy Evans is considered a merit expert. And I believe that he is. This is one of his statements that stuck with me so strong. He says, divorce is a communicable disease. It's just like COVID. Right? You say, what does that mean? 
Here's what he said. He said, when you find somebody who's getting a divorce, almost without exception, there is somebody who's telling them, you know what? They don't treat you right. You ought to get rid of them. You could do better than that. You ought to get rid of that person because you, you, then you could do this and you could do that. And you, they got somebody egging them on. Right voices, right choices. Wrong voices, wrong choices. Uh, I I was brought up in a church where we never, I I was there 20 years, and I do not remember ever hearing one word about the devil. Now, the Bible says give no place to the devil. Give no place in your life to the devil. But there's one place you have to give to the devil. And that's a place in your theology. He loves nothing better than to to have somebody who lives as if he did not even exist. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible very specifically says he is your adversary. You can look at Jesus. Jesus had direct conflict with the devil, right? He was tempted. The Bible mentions three different temptations that came to Jesus. The Bible says in James, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil. He will flee from you, right? Now, if we are not taught how to resist the devil, right? Now, of course, we're going to resist him in our thoughts and in our ways, right? But you also resist his works, right? Sickness, depression, things that, well, Jesus said it like this. He said, the thief, that's the devil. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. Everything that kills, steals, and destroys, those are things that do not come from God. And Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I've had one pastor is talking to him about this. He, He said to me, well, we just preach what Jesus preached. You know, I got to thinking about that. Jesus said in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach. And he says to proclaim liberty to captives, those the devil has bound, all right, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, those who are oppressed of the devil. Jesus, if you look at his ministry, Jesus just did three things. He would preach and teach. He would heal the sick. And he'd cast out devils. Preach and teach heal the sick, and cast out devils. And it's interesting, every time he sent out his disciples, he said, go and tell them the kingdom of God is here. Preach and say the kingdom's healed. Heal the sick, cast out devils. That's what he told them every time, every time. See, we need to rebuke, we need to resist, right? Somebody says, how often? All the time, all the time, every time. Recently, I was reading a book, and I found this little story in it that I thought was very interesting. It says, a man found a snake on the road, and having compassion, he took it home and nursed it back to hell. After spending much time with the snake, he didn't feel any danger when he was around it. In fact, he had grown fond of it and practically considered it a pet. Then one day, as he was feeding the snake, it bit him on the hand, and its poisonous venom quickly spread throughout his body. As he lay there there dying, he looked at the snake with complete disbelief in his eyes. He said, I took such good care of you. I fed you. I kept you safe. And you bit me. The snake said without the slightest bit of remorse, sneered and hissed. 
and replied, Silly man, you knew I was a snake. Now, that is a picture of sin right there. That's a picture of sin. You start out and you think, I got this under control, right? Kind of like a pet. But really, sin is like a lion. When that lion is six weeks old, you can take it for a walk. But when that lion is two years old, it takes you for a walk and then for lunch. <laughs> That's sin. That is sin. Right? Uh, the healthy Christian, the healthy Christian is doing two things. Right? We're breathing in, we're taking in the word of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Right? God's word is nourishment to us spiritually. And we are breathing in that word. Remember, all scripture is God-breathed. Right? And we breathe that in. But then we breathe out prayer. Right? So there's the breathing in of the word of God. We're taking it in. Right? But then we breathe out prayer. Right? And when we have both of them in balance, right, we have a strong Christian life. But if all you have is the word, right, you tend to get pretty dry, really dry. Right? And if all you have is, is prayer in the spirit, you blow up. Right? We need the two. We need to be feeding on the word of God. And then we need to be breathing that same word out in prayer. Remember, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Joshua 1, Isaiah 59, my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor the mouth of your descendants, nor the mouth of your descendants' descendants from this time forth and forevermore. Be breathing that word in, but been praying that word out. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Uh, and, but if you can, could you take the hand of somebody next to you if you feel comfortable doing that? And wherever you're at online, I want to ask you to do the same. We often say that the Bible has the answers to life's questions, and it is true. It has the answers. But the Bible also has the greatest questions. James said this, what is your life? So let me ask you today. If you were to think, what's my life? Somebody, I'm sure, would say, my life is happy. Somebody else would say, my life's a wreck. Somebody else will say, my life is my family. My life is my job. My life's going somewhere. My life's going nowhere. But the Bible gives the answer. What is your life? It says, it's just like a vapor that's here for a second or a moment, and it's gone. You get up in the morning, you step outside, and you breathe, and that breath is there. And then it's gone. The Bible says, in light of eternity, your life, the years you live here, are just like that vapor. It's just here for a moment, and it's gone. And then Peter asked this question. He said, what will the end be? What will the end be? Well, it's multiple choice, but there's just an A and a B. The end is either an eternity with God, we call heaven, or an eternity separated from God the Bible calls hell. There's no other options. That's what the end will be. And then another great question. The Philippian jailer said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? 
What must I do to be saved? I, I went to church for 20 years, had no idea. But this is what the Bible says. First, you need to turn your back on your old life. Stop living to please yourself, to gratify yourself. And receive Jesus as your King and your Lord and live for him. The Bible says to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. So if you're away from God today, you're not right with God. We're going to pray a prayer. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. An angel came to a man named Cornelius and said, Peter's going to come. This is what he's going to do. He's going to tell you words by which you and all your house will be saved. He will tell you words. And we are going to pray those very words. Right? And if you will pray this from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So everybody wants you to make these words your own. Pray this out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he arose victorious. Victorious over hell. Victorious over death. Victorious over sin. Victorious over the devil. And I turn my back on my old life. I'm not living for myself any longer. I receive Jesus as my king, as my Lord, and I'm going to live for him. I thank you. My past is gone. That I'm a part of your kingdom now. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.